and welcome to This is the Story of Podcast, a podcast where we believe the stories from everyday people and leaders should be told. I'm your host, Ben Hakama, founder of Illuminate Wealth Management. My guest this week is Patrick Ross, an estate planning and business attorney from Ross Law Firm in Inverness, Illinois. I've worked with Patrick for a number of years, both on my own estate plan and with my clients, and I appreciate the thorough yet personal approach Patrick takes with his clients. We recorded this episode earlier in 2021. I'm excited to share this with you now. This is the story of Patrick Ross. Patrick, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Long time listener, first time caller. Nice to be on your show. It's great. You know, we only have like five episodes now. So uh, thank you for being a long time listener. I've been there but, from the, from episode one. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, as you heard in the intro, um, Patrick is an attorney and I'll kind of let, let you actually just kind of walk through who do you work with? Um, kind of what sort of things are you doing? Yeah. So um, I work with my father and brother, hence the name Ross Law Firm. Um, we help clients set up wills and trusts and other estate planning documents, and we help clients administer wills and trusts. And we also help entrepreneurs uh, set up uh, their businesses and set up basic documents that should be in place to help protect the business and protect the owner. Um, That's that's great. Yeah. Uh, just so everyone kind of knows, disclaimer here, Patrick and I uh, met a couple of years ago and he actually helped um, with the the incorporation of, actually, Robbie will cut that out because I didn't, <laughs> you didn't incorporate anything, right? Because I'm an LLC. Hold on. Oh, you were paying attention. <laughs> I was paying attention. I was paying attention. Um, let's try that again. So just uh, a quick Disclaimer kind of for everybody. So uh, Patrick has helped my wife and I uh, with our own uh, estate plan, putting wills, trust in place, and also on the Illuminate side uh, when we started the business, getting everything in, in place, documents and and all that. So I, I know Pat, Patrick pretty well on on how he works and how he does things, but uh, I'm excited to have you on and uh, to kind of talk through this. So I think most people would probably say between financial planning and law, those might be the two most boring things you can do. So uh, we got some people here. How <laughs> how did you get started? I mean, I know you mentioned your your dad and your brother, but uh, kind of back up. Was this something you always knew you were going to do? Well, the my dad has been a lawyer since before I was born, and, and he's owned a firm for almost as long as I've been alive, going back to 1986. And uh, the short version of it is that it was a uh, summer and and winter breaks job that I had since you know I was able to use a computer and in, in uh, you know preteen teen years that I took for granted and and when I left for college the office manager reminded me twelve years later that I said I would never work there again. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. So what changed? Um, I think uh, I was no longer a teenager for starters. Uh, no. Um, you know, I've always uh, admired my dad as a mentor, and um, you know, like most children and parents, you don't always see eye to eye about everything. But um, he's a great mentor. Both my parents are, but specifically with the law, um, you see in the way that he is able to become an integral part of his clients' lives. Um, it's, it's a very blurred line between friendship and client. You really especially with the state planning and small business law, you really need to get to know your clients well. Um, and there's not clear lines between 
what is professional and what's personal. And um, so I also realized as I was going through high school and college that I really enjoyed reading and writing and analyzing things and putting concepts together and arguments together. Um, So I briefly flirted with the idea of what else could an English and German literature major do, but ultimately settled on the law was, was going to be the best fit for me. That's great. So do you use a lot of uh, German literature background in your, your practice today? (laughs) (laughs) The only way I'd say that I use it regularly is just, uh, helping with communication. There's, there's a lot of concepts that you can't always explain best in one language. So, Mm. Uh, I guess an appreciation for how language could be used to express ideas. That's hey, that's a great answer. You're ready for it. That's good. <laughs> so, um, so what, did you go to law school right away after college? Yeah, I debated uh, what I should do, and ultimately decided that I thought for me it would be most likely I would go through with graduate school if I started right away. And also, okay. I knew I wanted to become a lawyer, so why wait? Right. Right, right. So uh, you go to law school. I mean, was it always going to be estate planning and and small business stuff, or kind of did you have any other thoughts at the time? So I didn't. I no. The short answer is no. I I didn't know what type of law. I I tried to go into open minded. Law school tends to teach things from a perspective of going to court, which is called litigation, uh, or it could be criminal law as well, where you know it's someone versus somebody else in a lawsuit. And that's a lot of what the basis of law school is, is learning the procedural rules and, and learning how to research and find laws that may apply to your client and then make an argument for or against why that should be the case. And transactional work was something that I uh, got into later. I graduated in 2008 at um, May Perfect of 2008. <laughs> and and uh, I had some really wonderful mentors along the way. Uh, a former partner, Scott Alstert, at my old law firm, who was my law review article editor and, and attorney reviewer. And he connected me with a bankruptcy judge and he gave me my topic, which was bankruptcy and restructuring law. And lo and behold, a year and a half later, I graduated and it was the best time ever to become an, a bankruptcy lawyer. So I ended up wow. learning a lot about transactional work from the other side, which is how do you restructure a company that's experiencing severe financial difficulties? Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Um, and I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there and just kind of being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, a lot of people are suffering similar to what we saw last year uh, with the pandemic, same sort of thing of there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's a great learning experience and, and to get exposed to a lot of different things. So uh, kind of what changed? You started kind of down that path and and how did that develop? So I, I worked at a, a firm down in the city with some of the best lawyers I've ever met in my life. And um, like a lot of industries, there's consolidation that's happening over time. And I always enjoyed working at small and medium-sized places where you could really get to know your coworkers. And uh you know, due to changes in the market that the firm I was working with was merging into a much larger firm. Uh, And also it was 2015 at this time, not such a great time to be a bankruptcy lawyer, especially in Chicago land area. Um, There was not a whole lot of corporate bankruptcy or restructuring going on. So I began to, to think about what my future would look like. That's generally when you try to make partner, um, 
And uh, lo and behold, my dad's associate attorney quit. And we both happened to talk that day and, and the rest is history, right? quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of happened quickly. So you, uh, you quickly had your mindset shift to, uh, to looking ahead and, and planning the states and things like that. So um, was that an easy transition for you? Oh yeah, it was super easy to switch. <laughs> it was uh, like like many small business owners I've heard uh, describe it. The decision is easy, and then you spend the next couple of years wondering what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, but it all worked out great. It was um, it, it's still a work in progress. But uh, people often ask, you know, it must have been a big transition work going from bankruptcy and corporate restructuring work to working with individuals for estate planning. Really the bigger switch to my mind is working with businesses and working with individuals is like night and day. Mm. So even though I might be working with the same person who's a CFO or a controller at the company on business matters, when I when they're working with me as an estate planning client, it's a completely different person mm-hmm. mentally Absolutely. and emotionally and decision-making wise. And that's been a, a large focus is understanding how people approach problems, identify, first of all, identify whether there even is a problem. And then second of all, how do they want to address it and helping them think through risks and opportunities to make the best decision for themselves is very different when working with a consumer than with a business oh, and also the yeah, budgets. Sure. Uh, that, that probably would be true. Absolutely. So uh, was it tough to work work with your dad? You know, we, we've worked through a lot of communication issues and I, uh, we actually have a business coach who is helping us with, with um, you know, different things that business might need, metrics and process improvement and leadership. And I told him in our first meeting, uh, I'm into the metrics and the processes, but the leadership, I, I kind of feel like I have that down. And really what I came to learn was that leadership is, is probably the number one uh, item that we need to work on communication as a team, what is being said versus what's being heard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's my beating around the bush way of saying we, we, we have issues like any family, but, um, you know, we're all oriented towards the same goals and, and that really helps tamp down any sort of difficulties there might be on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. You know, between clients that I have and, and other people that have been on the podcast that are small business owners, I think that communication within your team and, and just kind of how everything works is everyone brings it up as such an important part and uh, they don't teach you that in law school or <laughs> or anything else, I'm sure. So that's great. So uh, so you're, you're working at Ross Law Firm now. Um, so who is... Can, are you going for the same type of client that uh, has always been there or do you have somebody else you're working with? So that's one of the benefits of not only working in a small law firm, but working with your father and brother as fellow partners and, and attorneys is there's a lot of flexibility to try things out. So I'd say we're kind of in a process of, of trying a lot of things out right now. Estate planning uh, in the public and uh, to, to a lot of people who, who I tend to meet um, they have this concept of estate planning as being something for elderly people or for very wealthy people. And estate planning can be done for different reasons. So a lot of the clients that have always been coming to the firm and looking for advice tend to be retirees or senior citizens um, who are wonderful to work with. But a, a lot of my focus the last couple of years has been, how do you 
identify issues that may be more relevant to a younger audience of working professionals, similar to the types of clients that you work with, people who are starting to make long-term decisions about getting married, starting a family, where they, what sort of career they want, and having uh, potentially starting a business and, and helping them think through all the different long-term things that might come up and how do they minimize those risks. So um, I only half jokingly say our ideal client is someone who is a good listener and follows advice, uh, <laughs> which doesn't really identify a specific category of person. Um, but we can really do the best job for someone who's who's open to hearing ideas and following through on advice. I think that's exactly the same as, uh, as what we see at Illuminate. It, there's only so much as professionals we can do to help people, you know, at the end of the day, it's got to be a team effort, but it also has to be executed on both ends, right? So uh, absolutely. So you work with a lot of different people, your firm can handle a lot of different things. Is, is there anything that um, if someone's listening to this, that they say, well, I don't need an attorney, or I don't need an estate plan, or, you know, I'm, I'm too young to need something, any kind of advice or, or things you would want to bring up for that? Yeah, those are, those are all very common concerns that clients will have. Uh, I'll start with online do-it-yourself wills versus uh, working with an attorney, which I, I frequently hear, and, and no one's ever expressed it to me exactly like this, but I think the general question that they have or concern to have is, how can the price of an online do-it-yourself will be so much different than the price of working with a lawyer? Absolutely. Absolutely. I get that question from clients all the time when I say, you need to meet with this estate planning attorney. So Patrick, why is that? <laughs> yeah. So the answer in a nutshell is it's online do-it-yourself will is information and it's documents, but no one can advise you about whether it's appropriate for you and no one can give you advice about what else you should be doing. And that's the main job of an attorney when I work with clients is to help them understand what situations a parent or a single person or a young person with a medical condition or whatever their situation might be, help them to understand what they might need before there's any charge. So we offer a no obligation meeting to try to understand if there's work to even be done and what that work might look like, present options and education for the client and let them pick what they want to do. Um, I've had clients come in with online do-it-yourself wills. I won't use names, but you know, one of them used California law. And when I looked up the reason why, it said the California probate code is uh, the best state law. And that answer didn't make sense to me because why would someone in Illinois need a will that applies California law? Luckily, we were able to help them to amend and restate that document so that it didn't come into effect if they passed away. Um, I also see really simple wills where they won't have provisions that help preserve Medicaid or SSI benefits for a disabled child or, or another person who's going to receive money, uh, potentially receive money after the client passes away and might end up losing their eligibility for those benefits, which would be a disaster. Um, Another common one I see when people say I, I don't need a will is people don't realize that if you're a parent and you have a spouse and a child, 
any assets and you don't have a will, any assets that are in your name alone and that don't pass by beneficiary designation or joint tenancy with your spouse will pass 50-50 to your spouse and your surviving minor child. And the only way to undo that is to have your own will or trust. So, you know, for a lot of people, online might be appropriate, but I often say, uh, many people say, I could just get this done online. And I say, that might be appropriate for some basic contracts or something that you're going to repeat often, but you might only do your will once every 20 or 30 years. Is that the best use of your time? And the best, you know, if you're not going to find out if the will works or not until after you've passed away, is that a, a good gamble or a poor gamble? It's a high risk game they're playing there, right? For sure. So great. So, um, you know, I, and I, I hear that and actually, you know, specifically on, on young parents, you know, they, they've got a lot of competing financial goals and, and saying, I'm going to shell out a bunch of money for an attorney is really difficult. One kind of feedback piece of feedback that I get as well is, well, we don't know yet who we want the guardians for our children to me. So we don't want to put a will in place uh, because of that. Do you have, I'm sure you've run into that before. Uh, kind of what would you say to that feedback? Yeah, and uh, that's that's a great point. That's actually an even bigger obstacle to most clients I talk to, even more so than the fees question that we just talked about. Uh, we can't agree. We both have such wonderful relatives that we can't agree who will be the guardian for our children. And I encourage clients to reach out. That's another type of thing that a lawyer can help solve that an online do-it-yourself system can't. And I don't mean to to rag on online, do it yourself. I think there is a time and place for that, but that's what meeting with a lawyer who focuses on estate planning can do is help you to solve these obstacles that may be blocking you. And, and ultimately I tell folks, after you've given it careful thought and you've deliberated it with your spouse, make a decision and stick with it and get it done because it's better to have an imperfect will than to have nothing in place at all if something were to happen. And you can always amend it in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So speaking of, of kind of amending some, some pla- things in the estate plan, you know, we have a general practice of just um, when we have copies of estate planning documents, we review it, make sure beneficiaries are right and, and all those things that we can do on our end as financial planners. But uh, generally, you know, every three to five years, just say, hey, why don't you call up the attorney and and let's talk. Uh, I get pushback immediately from that. I thought this was a good plan. We paid all that money. Why, why would I need to update it? Uh, you can answer that way better than I can. <laughs> why should someone even worry about it later? I, I could speak for our practice. I'm always happy to hear, with, hear from clients. We want to have a long-term relationship. So part of our fee includes being able to hear from our clients without charging them just for calling. Um, so I think that goes into the decision of who to work with when you're interviewing an attorney, ask them how fees are charged and whether follow-up calls cost any money. If there's work involved, it's, it's appropriate to, to talk about fees. But if it's just a question of here's what's new, what has changed in our lives, you know, maybe it's, it's just a check-in to say everything sounds like it's still on course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say think of a relationship with your financial advisor and think of a relationship with your accountant and and your estate planning lawyer as an ongoing relationship that may not need the same frequency 
of check-ins, but it, it's appropriate to, to make sure that everything's still on track. Mm-hmm. For example, in January of 2020, there were two major changes in estate planning laws for clients in Illinois. There was Illinois adopting what's known as a trust code, which was a, a, uh, an amendment to all of the laws governing living trusts in Illinois and, and other types of trusts. And there was the Secure Act, which changed basically everything for everyone who's a working professional with a 401k or an IRA. And it eliminated some provisions that were really helpful to stretch out the benefits of an IRA that someone might pass at death. And so it's appropriate to revisit with clients whether their beneficiary designations are up to date. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot thrown at us here and you've seen a lot, uh, Secure Act and and people kind of forget about that that I talk to because a lot has happened since <laughs> that and uh, and some things that have changed estate planning uh, financial planning all sorts of of areas so meeting with professionals talking about it reviewing your specific situation um, again not the harp on online uh, <laughs> do it yourself things but uh, there's no way they can personalize it you know to your own situation for sure right. It's missing the advice. So any, anything else that you've seen uh, the last couple of years or, or any, any other things you want to point to? I'd say it's an exciting time with all the technology. 2020 was a really tough year because we couldn't see each other. And a lot of clients not only lost jobs, but some lost their lives. And um, there's a lot to be said for <laughs> wishing 2020 never happened. But from a professional standpoint, it also allowed many clients and and many advisors, including myself, to become more proficient at technology and use tools to continue being super responsive to clients and and being there for them in these really difficult times. I know that you've been a super adopter of technology, and I'm always impressed whenever I I speak with you with the, the sheer amount of creative output. Uh, that's not directly part of your day-to-day job. And I'm really impressed by the work you do and, and the creative output you have. And, um, you know, being able to use technology to, to communicate with, you know, to have calls and, and meetings with clients by video or telephone, whatever they prefer, being able to meet in the evenings or Saturday mornings, um, you know, being able to share information that doesn't have to be mailed. It, it's uh being being there for clients when they need you and and in the way that they can communicate best is one byproduct of this pandemic is that we're all better at those tools. Absolutely. I, I know that there's there's clients that two years ago I never would have thought to have a Zoom meeting with. And uh, you know, we had three or four last in the last year. And it's great and it works well and it's a way to connect um that hopefully continues after we're able to be in person. We still meet in person. We still do all that because you miss something, but uh, it's nice to have some of that, that tech that people are embracing. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift a little bit, um, shift gears a little bit towards kind of um, your development and, and, and kind of two different things. So kind of first, I mean, are there, is there anything you look back on and you say, Oh, I w- wish I were to learn that sooner or did that differently. Any struggles you had in, so far? It ties back into the communication piece we were talking about earlier. I think I have really needed to check my own ego at the door on a lot of things and and focus more on what is in the best interests of the team and not necessarily easiest or or what I think is best. 
Um, I've definitely needed to be to learn patience, which is a, a daily task I, I give myself and have varying degrees of success at. <laughs> yep. Um, especially with myself and and tr- not trying to expect that everything will change. You know, f- whether it's changing some small process in our business or trying out some new marketing strategy or um, just trying to encourage clients to sign documents who've experienced some reluctance or aren't responding. Um, You're not talking about me, are you? Might <laughs> <laughs> have been a little delayed, sorry. <laughs> You're good, Ben, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'd say, you know, one thing that's been really helpful is is working with a coach and working with having mentors is something that is sounds simple, but after you finish school, even graduate school, it's easy to forget and you just get buried in the day to day. And a coach can really help you identify things that you could do better. Mm-hmm. And they'll never say it that way, even though I want them to. But. <laughs> right. Right. No, I've, uh, I know so many people in, in all sorts of industries that, that I view outside as being very successful. And I put you in that category and, I think almost everyone has talked to me about their coach and something their coach has, has done in the ones that haven't. My guess is they probably have a coach as well. So I think that there's a long, uh, a lot to be said for, for having the right people in your corner who can give you that outside perspective that maybe you didn't, uh, you, you couldn't get to on your own or, you know, your spouse couldn't tell you or the people you work with every day couldn't tell you, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so you, you kind of touched on it here. Um, how, how do you get clients? Kind of what, what are you doing to, to get clients? And I, I know you, we have slightly different businesses and so you don't get quite the same repeat business on the same frequency that, that I do. So kind of tell me what you're doing, where they come from, all that. Yeah. So that's, that's probably the biggest challenge. If someone were to choose to go into estate planning law is you constantly have to find new sources of clients. We've got basically zero client concentration risk because it's hundreds of clients. (laughs) Um, It comes down to reputation and, and doing an excellent job for clients and collaborating with their advisors like you so that they will think of you when they hear somebody say, oh, we're thinking about a will or a trust, or have you done your will and trust? And um, just trying to to make sure that you're always doing a great job so that they will um, check in with you and, and uh, you know, share, the, share information about you. We're also working on um, trying to have a, a bigger online presence. Uh, it ties into reputation. We really um, rely on client online reviews which I know is totally different than, than what you do for a living where right. reviews are, are impossible. Um, but the reputation part remains the same, I imagine, for both our businesses. And um, the fun part of it is finding out the, the six degrees of how you know everybody. Oh, yeah. because, <laughs> because you will find, you know, by getting into people's personal affairs, you will quickly find out that you have common friends or um, you can introduce people who will become new friends because they live next to each other and you know they're both 
really nice people or have kids the same age. So absolutely. Uh, the kids are the, the great connector, right? <laughs> uh, really starting to get that appreciation now that our two kids are, you know, in school and meeting parents and getting involved in boy scouts and all that. I, it's crazy how you just use them to network for you. Right. <laughs> it pays to attend your children's activities. That's right. That's right. Um, well, great. Well, is there any kind of anything else, uh, to, to wrap up anything we didn't talk about, you want to make sure we, we cover. You'd ask me about, uh, offline about any advice I'd give to someone considering law school. Mm-hmm. I'd say, don't do it. Is that, is that what you'd say? I'm just that's what, that's the conventional wisdom these days, but I would say do it because you want to help clients solve legal problems. Um, there is a, a, a great need for lawyers right now. It's just that, most of the law students, and I lumped myself into this category when I was in law school uh, 16 years ago, if you can believe it, many, if not most law students want to work with corporate clients or get big law jobs. And there's a, a great need right now for helping clients at different price points, meaning average people who aren't indigent, but also aren't super wealthy. So they're f- for smart people who want to come up with creative ways to serve clients. There's a huge need for all types of lawyers who can come up with creative ways to give the service you're ethically required to give and that clients should come to expect at, at a price point that they can afford. I I mean, I think that's, that's great to bring up because we're seeing the same thing in the financial planning industry of everyone who wants to go for the big clients that write really big checks and it, it seems all exciting and, and all that, but there's a huge opportunity, a huge um, underserved community, which is most people. <laughs> and, um, and, and there's just so much there and, and you're seeing stuff, um, you know, organizations we're a part of on our end that I'm sure you're, you've got something similar on, the, the law side of just ways to get connected that uh, is is kind of going to change over the next decade the types of of clients that everybody has. Exactly. That's great. And it's just good for the world. Oh, absolutely. You can make a living and, and help out a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, anything else we didn't cover? I think you've pretty exhaustively covered my uh, my history and story. No, I appreciate it, Ben. Okay, great. So thanks for being on, Patrick. Uh, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be on, and, and uh, thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of This is the Story of Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast platforms. If you have guest suggestions, you can send an email to contact at thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. You can also find all of our episodes and notes on thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. Our podcast is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice or endorsements. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>